Welcome to Legendary Dads, where we wipe out myths like you can't be a successful entrepreneur and a loving present dad. We're tearing down lies about being a well-behaved dad. You know, doing what they say that you're supposed to do. We're blazing the trail to become high-performance dads, the dad who's clear where he and his family are going and why. We are laying solid foundations to become legendary dads. Trying to make a note oh, to uh, double that bit was loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, check <coughs> camo settings. All right. Okay. Um, just before we launch in, uh, uh, one thing I was, there's two things that that you could share that would be beneficial. And so my my first focus right now, generally, is the dad life and learning. And you even speak in your on your webpage about legacy, um, which is part of my focus. So I want to make sure we we get into some some of your story there. Yep, uh, for sure. However, I also appreciate what you're doing around grief. So a lot of that can probably tie together. Yes, absolutely. If we don't cover a lot um, on grief, we could always have you back as a to kind of focus on that as a as a special episode, Maybe. but. It's your show. Let it go wherever you want it to go. I'll talk about whatever. I mean, I. it's good to talk about different things because often I'm talking about the same stuff, obviously in a different way depending on the questions. But no, I'm happy for you to go with the legacy thing. It'll, it will link in anyway, so that's fine. Well, yeah, something like uh, learning about grief, something is, yeah, you can't. It's part of life, and so it's going to be part of dad. <laughs> yeah. Um, the latest showed up again. Yeah. Strange. Um, how is it for you? Is it is it distracting? Is it going to throw off our conversation? I don't think so. If it's fine at your end, we just carry on. So if it's just a visual thing, then we'll ignore it. Yep, absolutely. And I'll see what happens later when I try to <laughs> post video versions where I'm not I'm not <laughs> there yet. So. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll uh, just give it a couple of seconds and then I'll introduce you with the bio you sent me and we'll jump in. Sounds good. All right, everybody, I'm glad to be back again. Excited, as usual, to have another guest here to speak to, um, a gentleman I got to speak to recently and learn a bit about um where he's been and where he's going. And we're going to dive into that a lot more tonight. Um, my guest tonight is Ian Hawkins. He's the founder of The Grief Code. Dealing with grief firsthand uh, through the passing of his father back in 2005, planted the seed in Ian to discover what personal security and legacy truly are. The experience was the start of a journey that released 
or two release, sorry, unresolved and even unknown grief that was negatively impacting every area of his life. The following his own intuition led him to leave corporate world and follow his purpose of creating unity for himself and others. The grief code is a divinely guided process that enables every living person to uncover their unresolved and unknown grief and dramatically change their life and the lives of those they love. Thousands of people have now moved from doubt to certainty using this exact process. So welcome Ian, and thank you so much for agreeing to be here and uh, allow us to kind of delve into your life and hear about so many of the things that you have been learning and sharing with your family. Speaking of family, uh, that's just my daughter popping in and out of the door. So apologies for the background noise, but thank you for Kevin for having me. It's great timing being on a dad's podcast. Yeah, yeah, no problem with that. It's uh, we we've got family, and this this happens. And yep, we're not. Uh, that's one of the things I love actually. So we're not in this, we're we're not in this polished world anymore, where everything has to be perfect, and yeah, you can't agree. Uh, you have a little interruption of. Of real life and suddenly you got to start all over again <laughs> so yeah, exactly i just find it's funny that even with an 18 year old when you say i'm about to record a podcast please be quiet we st i still get a door open goodbye <laughs> uh, and then slam the door on the way out <laughs> yeah. yeah it's uh some things take a while to learn <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good uh, it's all good so uh so to kind of, I mean, there's the there's the brief version of your of your bio, but in terms of of your parenting and and, and grief and so on, I mean, it all it often starts with us as children and how we are parented. So tell us a little about a little more detail, I guess, about this the passing of your father and how that that impacted you and triggered this kind of deep dive process into your own existence and, and journey yeah absolutely so i talk about in my story the, the moment where he came to the door and and um he was dropping something off and then he said oh you know that money owe me well don't worry about paying it back and for me that was just a, like that floored me because i knew exactly what he meant um but it also sort of comes back to what my own experience with him which was i always felt this disconnect I'm an extrovert, loud, he's introvert, quiet. So we didn't find a heap of ways to connect, but he loved children. He loved looking after children. He looked after my older siblings, children. And I was so excited about this connection we we're going to have through through my children. And I can still remember when I rang the house to say, to their house to say that we just had a little girl, just the joy in his voice. Yeah. And so that was amazing. But then... 10 short months later, he's gone and that sort of all of that came crashing down and everything came flooding to the surface. And I just can remember sitting there at the funeral, hearing all these amazing things that he'd done and the impact he'd had on so many different people. And I just had this feeling of inadequacy because I let, I, I looked at my own life and said, well, if it was me there today, what would people say? Now, now I know that people would have been saying nice things because I'd, you know, obviously we were always really self-critical, but when I started asking myself those questions, I really didn't like the answer. Now, what proceeded then was 
probably a lot to do with my own relationship with him is as my children got older, there's this angry dad that starts coming out. And mm. while I wanted to change, that was one of the big motivators. It was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want my children to be scared of me. I don't want my children to be reacting in a way where, yeah, like I'm, I'm on my best behavior at work and then I bring all that home. And yeah, so I really didn't enjoy that side of me. So the grief element was obviously when someone passes, there's, there's a massive amount of grief, but it's all of the tsunami of grief that then followed around all of my stuff with my dad that was unresolved. And then as it turned out, unknown, there was a heap of stuff there I didn't even know that came to the surface and, and that started me on my journey of well, wanting my life to be different and then discovering all of these elements of the disconnect that not only was that had impacted our relationship, but was now impacting me as a father as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you're saying about how you didn't want this to continue. And, and I think a lot of people, um, not enough perhaps, but a lot of people do come to this point somewhere where they go, you know, I, I don't want to keep passing on what I've learned or received. So can you, can you give us some idea? I mean, obviously looking at you're looking at your life a lot through the lens of grief just because of the circumstances and so on. Um, yeah. But what were some of the steps in the process that you went through to to kind of deal with that? Because I think a lot of us, we go, okay, this isn't, I don't like this. There's something going on that I'm not happy with, but how do I change it? Like, Where do I start? Yeah, and that was the challenge. So I spent the next six years spinning the wheels wanting to change but not knowing how mm. and, and it wasn't actually until we went through the the global financial uh challenges we went through in in the uh around, around 2008 2009 where where i really got traction and that was from a, a conversation with my sister-in-law where she was talking about um her dad was working and I said, Oh, wasn't he retiring? She said, Oh yeah, because his, his superannuation, which we have in Australia, his retirement superannuation had dipped because of the markets. And I just remember thinking, what, Why? how can that be? How can our, our whole, all of this money that we're putting towards our retirement be then at the mercy of the markets. And then we, we lose control of, of what that could be. Mm. And so then we, we can't make a decision based on what we want, we have to make it a financial decision. So that that was the the moment that like, okay, well, I, I want to set up my my future for, for me and my family. I, I don't want that to be the case. So then it was like asking questions from a, from a wealth perspective. And I had a few different conversations, but finally it was with my brother and he was said, um, I'll send you a link to this, uh, probably the best thing a sibling could have done. He didn't he didn't direct me or push me. He just said, I'll send you a link of this guy I know personally and I will, oh, uh, well, yeah, have a look at it. Sorry, I've just been distracted because then another member of my family wants to come in, a cat, uh, which is great. We've got the dog, the cat. I'll just leave the door open now because there's no one else here and they can come and go. So, sorry, that just broke my concentration. So, so then I he sent me this link and I started listening to the the person that he referred me to. This this guy had an opt-in. I opted in. He started sending me audio. Now it was about wealth building, but most of what he was talking about was mindset and self-improvement 
and having a mentor, all of these things that made me cringe, but also that I knew I needed to hear. And so that took me on a journey of like, okay, well, we're going to build our wealth. And I went to his seminar when he, when he said, oh, I've got this going on. So I went to it and he spent the morning talking about property. And then he spent the afternoon talking about mindset. And when he said at the end, you know, the end of those days, they sell from the back of the stage or the front of the stage, this was. And I'm like, I have to do this. I just knew in my heart that I had to do this. And I went up to the front of the stage and I said to him, look, I really want to do this, but I know when I get home, my wife's going to say, "You, you know, you've you've been you've been sold to something or whatever." And and he said, "Well, like, okay, before you have that conversation, what? Why do you want to do this?" And and it was one of those moments where words came out of my mouth without a conscious thought about it. It kind of happened, and it even surprised me. And I said, "Because I'm sick of being mediocre." Mm. And so that that was the moment where okay. I need to change. And and so the steps were, is I committed to to doing that program. And at the time, I was thinking it was two and a half thousand, which at, for me at that time, I would never have considered investing in myself, let alone that sort of money. Now, now knowing the benefit of it and going through his 12-month mentorship and the impact that had on my whole life and the, and the life of my family, that I, I there's no hesitation now. If it's the right thing that I know that investing in myself is worth more than investing in anything else. And so then it's learning the steps. And part of the first steps was releasing the grief around my dad. And then it was like, well, you've got to have a plan and you've got to have a strategy and you've got to have structure, all real basic fundamentals that got me heading in the right direction. But then he also introduced me to Jim Rohn. And the first video he sent me was, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow. Because I, I, had, I had sent him a message and said, I'm loving all your audios, but I think I've listened to them all over and over again now. What else can you send me? Now, he didn't send me one, but he posted that on his social media like two days later. And so then I find Jim Rohn, and then I'm just listening to to all his stuff. I couldn't get enough of it. So there's like listening to inspiring stuff. And he talked about keeping a journal. And he talked about having goals and visions and and in answer, a long answer to your question, that probably the most beneficial and powerful impact was from journaling. And I started journaling every day and I probably wrote way too much, but I just found it so therapeutic and so beneficial. So to start making change, the, the journal gave me personal accountability. It got me to recognize what was going well. It got me to pause at the end of the week and see even in a week that I didn't think was good, just how much good there was. And it also got me to see and be accountable to myself at the end of the day, what hadn't gone well, and then want to improve the next day because I didn't want to write in my journal the next day about what wasn't good. I wanted to write about what was good. And uh, yeah, just such a simple but powerful tool that really set me on the path of, of improvement. Well, that's that's awesome. Appreciate all that. That's, that's a lot to share. And you and you brought it. Okay, there's a few things I'd love to kind of dive a little deeper into there. One, yeah. I think it was doesn't need a lot of explanation. Was your you kind of pointed out a couple of motivators. One was the pain of mediocrity, but before yeah. that, you had talked about the motivator of your family and not wanting to pass on on this thing. And so, and when you described the pain particularly, it was like, okay, this has just gotten to the point where I can't take it anymore, and I I've got to do something about it. Right. So it's just yeah. That was kind of what, what moved. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. Interesting, interesting that the, the journey that you allowed yourself to go on. And I think some of us 
like I know I've missed this in the past where I'm looking at something you were looking at the finances and I have a sense that you you knew that wasn't I don't think money was really your priority but it was a pain point right but but you allowed yourself to explore that and it actually pulled you around into the things that were actually most important just by following yeah. that initial lead absolutely I didn't have a conscious awareness that it was anything else except money like I was building security for myself and for, for my family and I wanted to build wealth because I was sick of like sort of, even though things had like, we'd never struggled, but I'm like, I, I don't want to be, I want to have more choices. I want to have, I want to have more disposable income. Like it was very much that selfish sort of um, materialistic drive. Okay. But what I didn't realize is that what he was going to teach me was actually all about myself. So I thought it was a journey of wealth building, and it was because we bought a couple of investment pro, uh, properties and did quite well. But way more important than any of that was it was actually what I, the journey of self that was going to be the most beneficial to, yes, to me, of course, but the that coming back to that goal of being an angry dad for my relationship with my wife and my kids. Yeah, so... Let's touch on that now because, and, there, and there's two there's two important things here. One is you're going through some significant change. Um, now, you know, kudos for being willing to do that. That's a big step to begin with. But now, now you're changing. So your wife, your, that relationship is going to change, uh, and then with your kids. Um, so, and and our relationship with our wife. Um, some of us see this more than than others, perhaps, but especially when you're going through these changes and things, you recognize how important that relationship is because you are walking into some new territory. And as yep. you said, she, you expected her, or you were warned that you know she might be going, "Hey, what Kool Aid have you been drinking?" So <laughs> exactly, tell us a bit about some of the key points of that that those conversations and that process of uh, of how you came on board with that, or maybe she was fairly quickly on board i've got to tell you the, the story of of how that unfolded is beautiful that's one of the divinely guided pieces i believe because i came home and we were you know we had young children at this point so we were you know, rushing around doing whatever we needed to do and i'd been out all day so i was probably like you know here you go do this this and this and i said oh look oh this i really want to do his program and of course she was skeptical and and I said, I want to talk about it. She goes, oh, yeah, but like um, we've got stuff to do. And then the um, – so I'm a rugby league fan here in Australia. It's our, our big sport in where I am in Sydney. Oh, you'll want to watch your team play. And um, and then the night will be over and, and you know, because so, like, so she was trying to sort of dodge the conversation, I, I thinking about it now. And this got, a t got her attention and I believed it. I'm like, I don't care about the footy. This is more important. And she was like, oh, well, I could just see the shift. Okay, now you've got my attention, right? So so the chances of the, that game being on at that particular time, well, that that was the bit that really had her thinking, okay, he's, he's serious about this because I, I wouldn't have missed the game for anything back then. Yeah. And uh, so, so it, it was us talking through it and then making a decision that, together well we're, we're going to invest in this because 
because of X, Y, and Z. And again, it was probably the conversation was around finance, financials, which we we had a hunger to learn more about anyway. Um, so that's the first bit. But then one of the the very first, probably the first thing that that my mentor Michael taught me, and and when I say taught me, it was all through uh, an online program. So the interaction with him was actually very brief through it, except these videos that that he got sent every week. And, and it was creating a vision for your life and having yourself as the most important part of that vision. So getting clear, I still teach this today, getting clear on the top priorities of your life, putting them in order of preference and, 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 and important and importance. So having that, that list prioritized. And he said, you should be at the top of that list because if you're not looking after yourself, then how, how can you possibly be the best for everyone else? And then the second thing he said for me, my, my wife is the most in, next most important thing because you know you might think your children are the most more most important, but but you want to be a role model to them. They're going to get far more out of what they observe from you than what you tell them. So being the best husband or wife or you know whichever partnership you have is going to have the the biggest impact. So despite that, I've still got my original journal just down here on the bookshelf. I put myself at four. I put my relationship with my wife uh, first and then my kids second. And then I can't remember what was third, but I put myself at four. Now, thinking about it now, I'm like madness. So so now when I coach, I'm like, oh, I won't tell you to do anything. Like I won't direct you to do anything, right? You get to choose. But I, the only thing I will strongly recommend is that when you do this process that you put yourself at the top of that list and this is why. And so being able to then prioritize that first, my own well-being, which I eventually did come around to uh, when when he readdressed that vision probably about four or five weeks later when I realized he was right and started prioritizing my well-being and then my relationship with my wife was, okay, well, let's start having more of those challenging conversations and we were both doing the program together. And that was probably at the time was the best thing because we were both able to watch the videos together. So suddenly we had something beyond just being parents to young children. We had something beyond ourselves, which was motivating again, initially driven by the, the financial side of things, but we got so much more out of it than, than we could have imagined. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I appreciate you sharing all that because of that, that priority basis, which I totally agree with. Um, setting priorities that way and it's yeah because a lot of us struggle with that right we we think oh we're gonna look after the kids and we're gonna care for them and they're they come first and we we neglect ourselves and our spousal relationships so appreciate you yeah and that. yeah and to the detriment of our children as well at the same time by doing that yeah in the end it is yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah so now you're going through this this growth process and awesome that you got to go through that with your wife um, so you're very much on the same page, I guess, in general, as you go through that. Now, one of the challenges that I always come up with for myself, as I'm sure others do, the the kids. So there's two sides to this I'm curious about for you. One is um, how you take these lessons that you're learning um and bring them to the children, whether that's a deliberate process with you or something that you just kind of allow to happen um, sort of through osmosis. Um, the other thing is about the, the challenges with the kids, because I've found 
that my children are my greatest source of information in terms of what I need to change about myself. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So a couple of things come to mind. I can remember sitting there a couple of times in like having playful situations with them <laughs> and doing some um, role-playing or games or whatever else, like um, – my daughter played with a lot of Barbie dolls and had a doll's house and all those sorts of things. And when you hear your behavior mirrored directly back to you in a way that you do not like the sound of, nothing has you like paying attention more than that, right? So one in particular was, um, oh, Barbie's having a party. And Barbie had everything, right? So so my wife, Kate's mum had been collecting Barbie since she was a little girl. So we're talking 20-something years. So Barbie had everything. Well, we've still got crates of it under the house for the other grandchildren. <laughs> and she says to me, oh, Dad, we're having a party. Um, I better bring beer, right? Because you've got to have beer at a party. And and again, for some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's obvious. But I was going through a period of oh, wanting to change. And I'm like, oh, that's how deep the programming runs, mm -hmm. that she associates party with beer and probably not in a healthy way. Because when they're, they're, they're younger parties, when when it's about more about the parents, well, then we just we'd had the same sort of gatherings we'd had prior to that, and it's like, oh yeah, no, I, I've got to be better than that. Like this is the the programming that they that we create in them that they just sort of blurt out the same thing. Something I wanted to touch on was what you talked about is like they're, they're our greatest teachers, and one of the other really powerful lessons I learned was this needing to be right, and. And then learning about forgiveness and 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 apologizing, because up until that point, you know, I was the the father, right? I was the sort, I was the all knowing, all powerful. Uh, no, I'm never wrong. Um, don't talk back to me. All this sort of yeah. toxic stuff that I'd had modelled to me. I'm like, no, I, I, it's that's not actually healthy. So it's starting to have the the the. We didn't go into a heap into the the personal development stuff, except we started implementing those sorts of things where it's like, it's actually okay for us to be wrong. It's okay to apologize to them. It's okay to to let them have a voice and and to be able to have conversations. And as we talk, another thing comes to mind is is blame. I'd very much in that blame space where everything else, everything was someone else's fault. So mm -hmm. they were making me angry. They were doing this, they were doing that. And that wasn't true. That was just, I was being triggered by all of this different stuff that was going on in my world. And uh, I needed to address that. So we can come back to my mentor, Michael, but also Jim Rohn saying, it's like, you've got to take full responsibility. Now you might think, this is him, I'll paraphrase. You might think, well, there's a whole lot of stuff there that's outside of your control that, that happens to you. How could that possibly be your responsibility? He said, but the moment you can take responsibility, i.e. how you respond to that, then you take back control of your life. You take back your power and you're able to make changes. And for me, that was like really confronting, but just so powerful because it meant that I had to then start asking every time it came up when any anything that I didn't like, okay, but what's my part in this? And and that's something that I continue to take forward today and has been a significant game changer in, in my life and my relationships with my family. Yeah. Wow, I appreciate that. Uh, and I'm curious, are you someone, 
I think I know the answer to this from what, the way you've been sharing, but are you someone, for example, when you were sitting with your daughter playing Barbies and she's talking about beer, what did you do in that moment? Is that the kind of, are you the kind of guy who goes start, start the conversation right there? Or did you just kind of, it's kind of sat with you and then later you just started modeling differently? Uh, I can't remember. Um, but, but I, I would think I would have said, oh, well, it doesn't have to. I think I would have had enough uh, enough awareness at that point to go. No, I actually can change this conversation. I can change this uh, situation by what conversation I have. But we, but we all know that they're going to take far more from our behaviour than they are what what we tell them to do. And um, yeah, so I. I I couldn't give you a definitive answer to that, but I, but I do know that, that those conversations would have been much different as I went through that journey. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So can we explore a little bit more um, this, this idea of journaling? Um, that was obviously a, a, a key thing for you. How are you still journaling? I am. Uh, I'm certainly not as, uh, what's the word? Like it was just so important to me that I had to do it every afternoon at the end of my working day. Uh, I used to do it on the train on the way home until I realized that actually, you know, this is for the benefit of my workplace. I'm actually going to do it in my work time. So I would do it at my desk before I left. Now I do it. Uh, so meditation was another real key part, which, which, we might get into, which was kind of one of the next big steps to becoming a calmer and more patient um, dad. Um, so I, I take my journal when I'm meditating because if I get an idea, I don't want to have it lost and I'll jot it down. But then I also like will journal around different things, maybe making sense of some dreams that I've had um, and what's going well. And then again, just asking those questions of, I'm not sure about the answer to this, I can write the question because Jim Rohn described it as I'm not I'm not sure of the magic of this, but you know if you write a question, whereas I now know that whether you believe it from a law of attraction perspective or just really basic science, is that your unconscious, when given clear direction, will find the answer. And if you want more of the science around that, someone like Dr. Joe Dispenza spells it out really well. Give your unconscious a really clear focus. The more clarity you can get, it'll find the answers. So that's the sort of thing that I still use it for now. Um, but probably mostly is around when I get my unconscious speaking to me, which happens through dreams and meditation, that's when I take the notes. And then sometimes the awareness comes through the writing process, through the journaling process. But at other times, it comes later in the day just by the fact that I've got it down in paper and, and allowed my, my uh, mind to sort it out yeah so now the other thing that's coming to me is your so going back to your the the financial journey um you know you shared that it was initially your focus was finances and you're talking about uh, there was a number of factors i guess there the, the just the basic security in the sort of not too distant future like you're looking at retirement and things like that but also wanting freedom and options now so looking from a financial perspective and leaving something for your kids, the legacy there, that all of that is very definable, measurable and, and understandable. Right. So let's dive into the other side of the legacy that 
is is important to you right about the kids and, and how do you approach what you're leaving for them in terms of this uh the self-awareness and all the, the journaling all the things that you've been learning and going through what's your approach uh to to bringing that to them and helping them to kind of adopt and and take that stuff on for themselves Great question, and I'll tell you why. Because for the longest time, I was a recovering control freak, and I was trying to get them to do it, and this is how it is, and all that sort of stuff. And it's only been probably in the last two, three years where it's surrendering that control. And it was actually my, my eldest, my daughter, when when she was saying different things about like what was going on, me assuming that it had something to do with me or my wife assuming, and she'd be like, what makes you think what I'm going through now has got anything to do with you? And that was really confronting, but it was actually the best thing because she could have said, because it's like, oh yeah, I'm not responsible for her happiness. She's now 15 or 16 or whatever she was. And the other part was, is that she went through a really tough time four years ago. She'd got, to, oh, actually it's probably more like six years ago now. Time's gone pretty quick. She'd had some online bullying and, and uh, the transition to high school had been quite a challenge and we were both working in our corporate jobs, working long hours, uh, driven by money and a whole lot of other different things. Uh, and all that other, you know, we won't go into that at this point, but whatever was driving us to, to continue pushing that area. And she had been really struggling for a long time. She wasn't eating as much. She'd lost a, a fair bit of weight, but she told us later that she'd actually been um, having some pretty intense moments where she was, uh, you know, thinking about her own, like whether, whether she would self harm and that sort of thing. Right. Mm. So when you hear that, it kind of a real smack in the face. And what, what I'd learned is that when you're continually justifying other people's behavior, which, which is, which is okay in the right context, but if they're bringing something forward to you and you're continuing to say, well, you know, have a think about how what they're going through. It's like you're not validating them. And every time you try and give them a, a, a solution and, and try and fix it and be really instructional, that's not what they want to hear. And for some of you, you might think that's that's obvious, but for me, it was like that's just, you know, that and a lot of a lot of parents, a lot of men, a lot of dads, we want to fix things because we're good at it. And and I was diving into that fixing to the point where she just stopped talking to me about these things at all. And then that took a few years for that to really sink in. And ultimately it's like just providing a safe space so that they could talk and I would just listen. And if they wanted help, they would ask. And so that's what's happened is that more and more me providing that space, then they want to ask about the stuff because they're seeing that, like they've seen that I'm not like I used to be. Like I was angry, aggressive, all those different things. They've seen how much better I am, how I don't react to them anymore. I'm able to stay calm, how that I'm able to do whatever it is that I do that's different. And they want a bit of that, whether consciously or unconsciously. They're like, okay, well, dad, show me what happens here. Like, show me this. And it's completely counterintuitive to what we probably all got parented or most of us and what sort of is our natural inclination. And so letting go of that control and giving them control, which is, again, completely foreign to what they're experiencing out there. So my daughter's going through her, her last year of school, going through all the final year exams, 
and all her friends are stressed and they're getting so much pressure from their parents. Whereas we are putting zero pressure on our daughter to what marks she gets. She's driving that, but she actually knows what she wants to do next year. And it's, and it relies on zero um, marks or scores or university entrance level um, numbers. It doesn't rely on any of that. So that what she gets in these school exams have zero impact on her life. And from my own experience, the same, right? Like I had a uni degree, which is like, I mean, it was a teaching degree. So maybe I learned something out of that, but to do what I'm doing now, I don't need any of those things. Mm. Now, the beauty of that is that she's much more comfortable going through this. She's also a bit like a dad. She's naturally holding counsel for a lot of these friends who are going through stress and helping them. But it just allows them to be both so much happier to to have that control. They're, they're learning now how to be empowered instead of then getting to a, a down the track and and not knowing how to be able to self-regulate and self-driven all those things because because we're allowing them space to explore that now yeah i, I can't remember what your question was did that answer it <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yes it did that was great and, and i want to go if uh i'm curious what your 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 process was when when she kind of challenged you with that, which is one of those big ouch moments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh yeah. What makes you think it's about you? Um, but as you described letting go and doing what was completely counterintuitive uh, and the exact opposite of, of what you feel naturally inclined to do and what logically you, you think you're supposed to do in terms mm. of just kind of backing off and letting them go. How, how was that process for you? Cause I, I know a lot of us struggle with the the fear that if we if we don't keep guiding the process, they're, they're going to go off the rails and, and something's going to happen. Like, how did you process that to allow yourself to give her space? It wasn't quick. And as you were asking that question, I was drawn to the fact that this is going to sound like it's really easy. But like the, when I when I talked about when I started up with that mentor, that was eleven years ago. So I'm talking about nine years later, I'm I'm realizing this is the case. Mm-hmm. So, and the journey was, was, okay, as I mentioned before, it was like, well, what part can I play in this? If I'm reacting this way, what's going on for me? So I was a very fearful and safety conscious, conscious parent and wanted to make sure that they're okay and safe and all those different things. Mm-hmm. What it was, was actually showing me my own fear. And so... That's as much as it might seem, uh, again, counterintuitive and 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 a struggle to face is when our children are going through challenges and they're going through things that they're not getting and they're having these things presented. Yes, we we help guide them as they need, particularly when they're younger, but the real work is on us. Mm. The better we can show up, the less fear we have, the more calm we have. We're not angry. We're not getting not having these reactions. And the better our children are, because again, they get so much more from us as the role model than us as the uh, instructional um, dictator, almost right. Which is which is how I had uh, grown up, learning and then and then repeating that same pattern. Yeah. So at the moment when that came to me, it, like for me, I'd got to that point 
of like, okay, well, I need to address this myself. You said before it was good that you and your wife went on this journey together. Well, she did for that part, but then I very much just went on my own journey of like, I, I, I had a thirst for it. Now, now she didn't so much at that point. Of course, because of what we'd learned in that first year, she she made massive progress and 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 made a lot of changes and we did it together. But for me, in terms of the 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 self stuff, like I, I just that's what I've done for the last 11 years is thrown myself into it, particularly when I started doing it as my career. So five years ago, I, I left my corporate. I'd done it part-time till then, but then I was going into this full-time. I'm like, I need to, I need to know as much as I can about this. So the ability to say when that's presented at you and be able to react and say, okay, well, I, I can take responsibility for this and then ask if there's anything we need help with. And if she says no, just being able to honor that, that's that's taken some time to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Appreciate that open sharing there. That's fantastic. You're welcome. One thing I'd like to touch on Um we talk when we talk about grief and this is i think this is something that really relays a lot to our kids um often we're thinking of when, when the topic of grief comes up we're thinking of big things right uh your, yep. your passing of your dad my collision and things like that when okay there's there's loss it's obvious and we we kind of universally recognize that yep one of the things that's been coming to me over the over the years is is all the little things that I don't grieve, and it, and, I, and I'd like to hear your your thoughts on this because for me, I think I've taken this stance that grief is a. I haven't studied it the way you have, but it's a bit of a, a process, and I and I think it should be, to some extent, and so when I think of little things like. Um, you know, I didn't get a job I wanted, or there was, uh, I wanted to go to a game. I didn't get to go to the game. It was, it was important to me, but then I, something happened and, and I, I lost out on that opportunity that I would really have appreciated these little losses. It just feels like really, I'm going to go through some process to, to, you know, get over that grief, but I kind of think I, I should be. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, another great question. And, from what I've learned is that even what people say is, oh, here's the seven stages of grief. That's just something that someone made up. It doesn't mean it's going to be the same for you. And yes, there are certain stages, which, you know, we go through uh, acceptance and, and denial and all those different things, but it doesn't always happen in the same order. It doesn't happen like in the same speed. Like sometimes that, you know, like you can go through all these different things that, that, it takes it takes some time and it's as you described the big stuff we tend to process but it's all the things that are linked to that big stuff so the reason why i was so stuck after my dad passed was not because he'd passed i mean obviously there's a level of grief that that continued to play out mm -hmm. but it was all of the stuff that that i had playing out for me as a result of my stuff around my relationship with my dad now there were certain things there that that obviously he brought to the party which which weren't beneficial to me, but I had choices all through those years of how I reacted to that, and I chose one way, and these these choices and these patterns were still playing out. So it was learning to 
identify some of these patterns and then rewire them. Yeah. So, go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to actually, I was only just going to ask is like, I, again, I've, I've done if I'm getting on track with the question because when I get on a bit of a flow, I just talk and I forgot what yeah. I, I was originally intending to say. Yeah, I know the feeling. No, that, no that's good. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say in, to help us learn to recognize these, some of these little things, can you share any examples of the little ones from the kind of the spinoffs from, from your dad passing? Uh, well, control was definitely a big one. Uh, suppressing emotions, another one. Learning more about the um, different ways that people have needs and how they're met and different ways of operating. So when at a really basic level, right, we, we are taught, rightly or wrongly, from a very young age, don't be sad, don't be upset, don't be angry, don't be this, don't be that, right? So these patterns become hardwired because, as you know, when you hear a repeated pattern of language, it becomes something that you adopt. It gets imprinted in your unconscious and you repeat it. Yeah. Then we grow up and we have these emotions and where it re particularly becomes heightened is initially when you become a teenager, then when you become a parent. They're the two that really stand out to me perhaps when you go into the workforce as well. So the the unconscious wiring is I can't show emotion, but our body is telling us there's something going on here and there's a, something that needs to be dealt with. So we get this internal contradiction, this internal turmoil of these two differing thoughts, behaviors, feelings, everything creating this like, tension in the middle of us mm -hmm. so the learning ways to actually be okay with whatever emotion that you're experiencing and then finding healthy ways to process them will allow you to move through those like little deaths those little moments of grief that we don't quite recognize and not allow them to to impact us because i'll talk a lot about that the mid-range grief we tend to deal with the big things but at the other extremes, the really big stuff, we tend to block and then, or we don't properly process and then the little things. So something happens as a dad, don't sweat the small stuff, whatever. It's not that important. Um, this didn't happen. I'll just do it myself. Now, that those behaviors are okay, but it does create frustration within us. It creates anger within us and on its own is fine. But over the course of a day, or a week, or a month, they add up, and it's, I look, I, I liken it to a kettle. So you've you've added all of these little tiny drops of uh, moments into your system, and slowly that kettle fills up. Now, for me, back in the in the day, those drops would have filled up like in half a day or a day, right? So you're getting towards midway through the day, my kettle's full, and as soon as you apply the heat, which was the moment I walked in door in the door, and there's tension from children who are not had needs met, they've been looked after by other people all day, uh, a wife who's also tired, then that's when like the heat's applied and there's steam and everyone gets burned. Right. And then we're all left feeling even worse. So it's now, it's about, well, how can we process that, that emotion, allow ourselves to get through those mini stages of grief really quickly so that we're not having that 
pent up uh, emotion that causes us so much dramas. It it creates mental health problems because then we start getting in our head and wondering why this, 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 and this happens. Why did I react with that? Oh, you've done it again. And then we start, you know, beating ourselves up. All of those different things because of this pattern of suppressing emotions all over. Yeah. So I guess your your idea on the you know don't sweat the small stuff, the way of not sweating it really would be to kind of just quickly process it, just recognize okay yeah. that's there. Yep. This is this is what it really is, what it represents, and that's okay. Now I can kind of go on, and it won't become an issue. Yep. Um, yeah. As opposed to uh, you know, I guess our our natural interpretation of that, which I mean I've heard that all my life too, is just go oh, well, just ignore that, don't even think of it shut it down mm. push it out kind of uh, which as you said just kind of leads to a building up of stuff yeah and the absolutely. other thing i wanted to to touch on you said um and then i think we need to want to kind of wrap up a little bit but you said uh you were talking about uh recognizing the the emotions and the and the things that are going on and i guess i like a lot of processes i suppose once you learn to begin to recognize I suppose we'd start with the bigger ones, right? The bigger emotions and starting to go, okay, well, this is what's going on with me. This is what I'm actually feeling, putting words to it, naming it kind of thing. And and then processing that, I guess, as you learn to do that, we probably become more sensitive and aware of some of the more smaller or fine-tuned uh, experiences, I guess, so that the supposedly smaller things don't just sort of slip under the rug um we we notice them and are able to as, yeah. as we just said process them quickly and move on yeah the awareness is the first point and being aware of it that, that if i tie, tie it back to the journaling it's like i was catching myself during the day oh i reacted the wrong way here this happened just simple awareness and, and bringing that awareness to the table allows you then to go okay well how can i now address this in a different way and it, you can go into a whole lot of detail about like trying to get this right. But if you just start with self-awareness, and again, it's that word acceptance mm. and journal on it and then write questions. How can I, how can I do this better? Then the right answer will come for you because I could tell you a hundred different ways to process, but none of them might work for you. Right. It's about finding the process that does work for you. So an example of that was I'm like, okay, well, how do I get better? How do I become a karma parent? And again, this found me through sport. I don't know if it would have found me any other way. Is I'm I've just played golf. I'm in the the uh, the bar afterwards, having a beer, and I'm drawn to this uh, secondhand bookstore there in the corner. I'm like, I have looked through the books. Now I wasn't even a reader at that point, but I had sort of started the growth journey, so I was curious and I was drawn over there and I found this book from one of the uh, coaches here who'd been uh, well known for getting the best out of his players when didn't necessarily have the best list of players but also doing things a bit differently I'm like okay I'll, I'll grab this book it was called Sport is Life, Life is Sport uh, it's on the, on the bookshelf there behind me somewhere and it just had all these messages and I'm like wow so true like you know walk like an athlete They walk, athlete stands tall the athlete's not afraid to to stand in their power. The athlete is more than happy to have the tough conversations. They in, they encourage, but they also have these conversations where we go, okay, well, how can this be better? The tough conversations. 
But then I didn't notice at the time, but it turns out this book was also co-authored by his wife, who was a meditation and yoga teacher. So then it gets to this part about meditation and yoga. And I'm like, and it just grabbed me. And it talked all these stories and about being better and better performance and karma. And I'm like, okay, this is it. I've got to learn how to meditate. So that was 2013. And that just became such a, a driver as like this. And then noticing the difference. I remember again, hearing another sports person talk about meditation around that time. And he said, I couldn't tell you exactly what it is, but I just know that I'm a better dad when I do it. And and that and at that time I was like I, I didn't have a conscious awareness of exactly what it was, but the days that I meditated, I was a calm dad, not a hundred percent, but I was able to get through those days so much better. And the days I didn't, I would be irritable, I would be snappy, and that contrast really showed me. Okay, just spending ten minutes quietly with my eyes closed, even if I didn't feel like, in adverted commas, I could meditate, just sitting there in silence and allowing myself just to relax and be present helped me to get through the day. Wow. What a, what a fantastic help that is. Yeah, I, and I it's love, amazing. I love that you're, you're sharing how for you it was, it was finding, you essentially kept finding uh, helps and, and input, valuable input through, uh, through sources that you were already connected to or understood or, or were comfortable with. So, you know, financially, you, you were good with money and finances and investing and all that, but you, so you learned through that, but they hooked you into the self-growth and then you're comfortable with sports and they took you into meditation. And so that could be a really helpful nugget for a lot of guys because we, uh, you know, I mean, still these days, I think so many of us, the whole world of meditation and inner reflection and so on is still feels kind of, eh. <laughs> so I, yeah, guess, well I guess, Learning it, Could, learning it through a, a, an area or a field we're comfortable with, kind of yes. brings it a little closer. Yeah, and and on that, I, I had learnt at later in my sporting career about visualization. So if you don't like to call it meditation, that scares you. Sit and visualize how your life you want your life to be, or sit and visualize how you want to be as a dad. Like, just make it make it in context that you understand. And whether it's sport or art or music or whatever it is for you, the journaling will allow it to show up for you in a way that will reach you. Yeah. You don't have to worry about trying to have it sorted out. Ask better questions in your journaling. Have that self-awareness around what is good and what's not. And then your unconscious will find the answer. As as dads, this is the one that will that will it grabs me and hopefully it makes sense for you. Two two ways you can you can um validate this for yourself right now. When my wife was pregnant. I'm seeing pregnant women everywhere. Now, where have they gone? Because I don't see them anymore, but they're there, but I just, they're not, they're not my conscious awareness, right? So right. when you focus on something, your unconscious will find more of it. Now, also for a lot of us men, there's a certain car we want to drive, right? So you get really clear on the car you want to drive, put it on your wall, think about it every day, and I guarantee you, you will start seeing that car everywhere you go. Not because there's more of them on the road, but because your unconscious is bringing your attention to it constantly. Now, Dr. Joe says we bring in something like 60 billion bits per second. We can only process in the tens of thousands. So give your unconscious a clear guide on which part of those of that data you want to bring in, and it will find it for you every time. Even now, wherever you are, ask your mind to find you the color red. and Look around, and the red will stick out everywhere you look. 
it's basic basics but it but it's powerful yeah no that's awesome that that's that's a great uh summary there i love the way the last few points there that you've just pulled a lot of stuff together and i appreciate that very much and uh, i want to wrap this up uh because we're on the hour and uh but (laughs) there's more that i'd love to talk with you about so we may have to book a a part two another time but uh, i really do appreciate uh i mean just your willingness to be open and and vulnerable and be honest about uh about where you're going that's uh that's that's where it gets really helpful for us is to be able to really hear somebody else's journey um, on all all sides of it and the truth of it. So thank you so much, Ian, for sharing all that. You're welcome. Uh, um, you, you, I'll be quick because I know you're wrapping it up, but uh, if if you're a dad and, and you're or, or someone who cares about a, another dad or like a wife and you're looking for, you know, something to really grab onto, it's that, that idea of vulnerability and it seems scary, but allowing yourself just to accept that that everything's not great and that actually that there is help out there and and things will always be better when you allow yourself that space to be helped yeah thank you it's not a weakness it's actually a strength and it will make you even stronger than you can possibly imagine yeah yeah we are capable of of so much more than we we ever imagined we could so yeah fantastic all right i want to um I'm going to lift the mood a little here and just going to ask you a couple of fun questions and um, yeah. and I'm going to let you share one more thing um, and then uh, and then we'll we'll close it up. Uh, I'm just going to throw a couple of questions at you that apropos of, of almost nothing, but my first one actually, I'm going to say where you are, what is the most friendly animal? Um. You talking about in the wild or just uh, yeah. in general? Well, yeah. uh, in the yeah. friend friendly. Oh, man, they're all pretty about good. Australian, all the things that'll kill you there. <laughs> now they they're all pretty unfriendly. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> like even even the like you know the koala bear, right? If you got close to a koala koala bear and you tried to grab it, it's got claws like talons that would just uh, tear you, like even the, the possums that sit out here, the bird, like we've got birds that swoop at this time of around spring. Um, let's go for the domestic dog, shall we? Yeah, okay. All right, let's go there. That went backward on me. I'm not sure yeah. a friendly wild animal there. there. There must be, but they're all so timid that they run off and you don't actually get to touch them. Fair enough. What's your favorite meal? Curry. What's that? Curry? Curry. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Who is the most famous person you've met? Oh, I don't know about most famous, but in Australia, uh, for anyone in my generation, if you were a cricket fan, um, there was a guy, Alan Border, who when we went through really tough times as as a as a national team, he was the 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 one rock that always performed. And when I worked at Fox Sports, so television uh, network, really early, early on in the journey, I got to meet him. And some people talk about like it's better not to meet your idol, but he was the most kind, gentle, humble man that I'd met. And he was so appreciative of me saying how honoured I was to meet him. Um, so, yeah, great moment. And it actually made me realise that famous people are just people. And, and, I, and, and again, working in television, I, I had them crossing me in the corridor all the time. I don't get overawed or ex- overexcited or anything by by celebrity because they're just another person. Yeah, and who would you like to meet that you haven't met yet? 
Well, the, the first name that came to my head was Jim Rohn, but then the second one was um, Jim Rohn's past, but Robin Sharma. He's an, another guy in uh, personal development that was influential, and he also gave me a lot of great tips on journaling and um, just uh, his principles on leadership and taking action and getting stuff done. Well, I'd love to uh, share notes and, and bounce ideas off with him because, uh, yeah, he's a real inspiration. His book, um, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, is is well worth the read. It's um, it's self-help through a story, so it's much more subtle and uh, an enjoyable read as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we're going to put, um, in order for people to get in touch with you, we're going to put your links and connection um, into the show notes. Uh, is there anything that you want to highlight in terms of people connecting with you, reaching out to you? Um... Uh, yeah. Um, well, two things come to mind is if, if you're at that point and you're not not sure where to start, because I talked about after grief, I spent six years spinning the wheel, then my my free training is start the change. And it's a lot of the things we talked about, getting clear on what it is you want, uh, awareness around what's not working, and then rewriting the story. So okay. that's you'll find that on my website in the notes and also my ebook, uh, The Grief Code Framework, which gives you some more guidance about how grief or unresolved grief might be showing up for you in your body and your behavior patterns. Um, and that will, yeah, just give you some guidance around what might be going on for you and what you can do to start making changes. Excellent. I like that because I think a lot of times we're not even recognizing what's the signals that are there. So super. Yeah. make sure all of that is available and appreciate you uh, sharing that for sure. And thank uh, you look forward to exploring some of that. So with all that, uh, it's time to wrap up again and uh, really appreciate everybody sharing. And again, if you have any questions for Ian, he is absolutely open to you reaching out and connecting with him, a man who wants to help and his committed so much of his life to doing that so don't be shy uh, i'm also here for you um, and looking forward to connecting more with other people we've got great conversations coming up again next week so stay tuned keep in touch and we'll talk to everybody soon bye for now all right we've taken another step towards that legendary dad status today and I'm excited and honored to be part of this journey with you. Now, if you go to kevinwillspeak.com, you can book time to speak with me directly about any questions or comments you have. Or you can connect with me on social media or post in the comments below. Guys, I'm convinced that we all have what it takes. And if we work together, we can all become legendary dads.